This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I'm seeing something. It's smiling at me, but not a friendly smile. The worst smile I've ever seen in my life. Do you see it right now? <laughs> smile, rated R, only in theaters September 30th. You're listening to a Castaway Media podcast. Find more great shows on our website, castaway.media. Welcome to episode 26 of Potterooney. And it's a special episode because I'll be talking to Ardla Hanlon and you all know him as Father Dougal from Father Ted, a very famous man. He's also done My Hero and many other dramas as well. Well, I met Ardla way back uh, 25 years ago, I think. I was starting off doing comedy. I wasn't doing stand-up. I was in a double act called The Quack Squad with a fellow called Paul Tylek and we were just doing gigs around Dublin at the time supporting bands because we didn't know that there was a comedy club in Dublin at the time. So I saw an advertisement for a comedy improv course that a guy called Billy McGrath was running. I signed up for that and it was there that we met pretty much everybody else that was doing comedy in Dublin at the time, which wasn't many, which was basically Ardla Hanlon, Kevin Gildee, Dermot Carmody and Barry Murphy. Uh, we met up there. I, they were running a club and we started gigging at that club regularly over the next few years. Um, and then um, it was just great to hook up with Ardle again after, well, I mean, I've met him over the years, of course, but it was great to hook up with him and have that chat. It was fantastic. So uh, so over the weekend, I uh, was uh, down in uh, Sligo on Friday, collected the kids, headed straight down to Sligo, went to this place where um, they do a thing called stand up paddling, which is you get on a raft and you paddle on a lake with a big paddle and um, you stand on the raft. Uh, we arrived down there in the evening and we had a few drinks uh, beside a big open barbecue type fire beside the lake. And then the next morning I performed stand up on a stand up paddle. The first person in the world to have done that, I do believe. And if you want to have a look at a clip of that, you can go to my Twitter feed, Joe Rooney one. Um, and it was amazing because it's just a beautiful place. It's um where the Lake Isle of Inishfree famed this lake, WB Yates poem, of course. Uh, we went out there in the morning. Myself and the kids went out to that, to Inishfree. It's a tiny little island, but it's beautiful and calm and serene. And we sat up on a rock just looking out over the lake and just laid down there and closed our eyes and could listen to the birds and the far off 
dogs barking or whatever was happening. But just but mostly just silence, and it's not often you get a little bit of silence. So it's really beautiful down there, and and it's a great thing to do the stand up paddling. So when we came back uh, across from Inishfree, then I got on the on the raft, and a few and the group of people that were there got on as well. We went out into the middle of the lake, and I brought my guitar. I stood up on the raft with my guitar and performed. And you can see that on my Facebook or on my Twitter. So then uh, on uh, Saturday, I came back in. And on Sunday, I went to see a film called Mond that I'm in. Um, and it's really good. It's, I highly recommend this film. I'm not just saying it because I'm in it. Uh, the main three actors are three three young guys and their characters who are on a bit of a bender over a weekend. But there's a depth to the film where they all, I suppose come to some realisation about who they are and what they're doing in life. You know, when you're young and you're just getting wasted every weekend and then, yeah, at some point, you've got to kind of realise, you know, you just can't keep doing this. So I'm the drug dealer guy. My name's Cork Fella. Cork Fella, that's it. I don't even have a name, which is great. And I get to wave a gun around. So uh, it's really good. So it's going off to a few festivals. It's in Kerry, Film Festival, Cork Film Festival, somewhere. It's in festival in London, Rome, Holland, I believe. But if you see um, it build anywhere, just go and see it. It's really worth checking out. And then uh, that night, actually, I went to see Johnny Marr and the Johnny Marr of the Smiths, of course, and in the Olympia. Brilliant gig. Absolutely. What a guitarist. What a man. He's, I don't know what age he is. He's, he must be in his mid-50s, but he looks as cool as hell. And I'm uh, just great guitarist, great, great composer of guitar riffs and songs. And As Soon As Now was just incredible. And There's a Light That Never Goes Out. I know I'm talking, all this, oh, he did about six, seven Smith songs. And he's enjoying it. The crowd loved him. They just went crazy for him. His fan, or his family his Irish family were there in in the boxes and um, it's just incredible just both music of the Smiths bloody hell it is it is amazing lyrics are just incredible they're just the thing that you need when you're in your late twenty, late teens early 20s and you feel like you don't fit in just listen to the Smiths it'll do you good okay let's listen to Ardla Hanlon Good. Great. Thanks for coming in. Mm. And delighted. Uh, delighted. Yeah. And so uh, I see you were saying you're working on a bit new material, or you you'll probably tour next year. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I'm always trying out new bits. Um, mm. uh, yeah. Yeah. Do I'm doing about two or three shows a month, <laughs> <laughs> which I know it doesn't sound like an awful lot, but I am. I I do other things as well. Um, and yeah, I'm keep keep trying to do new stuff. Yeah, yeah. I wish you mm. could just stick with your, you know, just your your very first show. Mm. That's all. That's my favorite <laughs> show. <laughs> Twenty years ago, you know, that show that you kind of like, you know, you spend your whole life building up to. Yeah. You know, from the time you were a child, every funny idea you ever had distilled mm. into that first show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's never the same again. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's really difficult to uh, keep 
doing it. I, I admire people like Tommy Tiernan or whatever that can just keep writing a show every year. Or it seems to write mm. a show every year. But you have to have probably the uh, balls to go out and uh, try, do 20 minutes that isn't going to work. And that's very hard yeah, to do. But I also think it's like, it's, it's, yeah. you need to be doing it continuously. You, like, mm. So, so you, you, not only do you need to be doing shows every single day almost. Yeah. You also need to be be living it so and breathing it. So therefore, mm. you you can't actually have a sensible uh, response to any news event or anything that happens in your life. You have to have the comedy take. The on comedy it. take. So yeah. you actually become a little bit mad. So in, yeah. in, in 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 the interest of self preservation, I would say that I love stand up comedy and it's it's like absolutely you know it's a it's a way of being, it's a way of life. Absolutely, it's 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 mm. the default thing that I always fall back on. Mm. But. I do think you need other things in your life as well. You know, it can't. You can't let it become all-consuming. Well, you can't if you're if you're a father and uh, trying to have a relationship. But also, <laughs> not just a father, like a citizen, uh, a good citizen. Well, probably, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. But it's probably your family you'll drive mad if really mad if yeah. you start being the comedian all the mm. time. Yeah. Which also, uh, you, you, I mean, how can you be happy? Like, if you, if if that's you know the entire focus of your life all the time. Mm. Yeah. Okay. You can. <laughs> but uh, not that I'm happy <laughs> or anything like that. Oh, sorry. God forbid. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's not get carried away here. Yeah. yeah. So, well, like a lot of the stuff that you were doing earlier on, I remember when you started off, you had great stuff about, uh, for example, I think I remember you uh, talking about being in Canada because you spent some time in Canada. You, you, as your younger days and your material was about, I remember you getting really embarrassed and uh, the cows thinking it was a sunset or something like that oh, was that, God, yeah, do you remember yeah, that material yeah, 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 yeah. I do I do remember it yeah I, about how I used to do a whole big kind of running joke in my show about how red I used to go when you got embarrassed like when I got embarrassed and homeless people used to warm their hands on my head and stuff like that and <laughs> small animals would think it was sunset and fall asleep on my feet and uh, whenever I got uh, uh, an, uh, aroused all the blood would rush straight to my face instead of or, or instead of my penis was Is that it? correct? I can't remember I actually can't remember it now yeah, so yeah. it was a long time ago but yeah, no, I was always drawn to that kind of really silly stuff. That's what I used to love doing. I mean, it changes over the years, you know, as you become more crotchety. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, because well, your original character was a very innocent kind of... Wasn't yeah, it, it was, I well, I mean, I'm not saying it's a character, it's, but it's the voice No, you but had. it is a persona. Like, yeah. you, you can't mm. just go out as yourself because that would be just terrible, you know. <laughs> so every comedian, like... Uh, adopts some kind of armor or some sort of you know weapons or you know yeah. so you, you you put on a kind of a mask I suppose and you become mm. an exaggerated version of some part of yourself yeah yeah so in my case I think it was that kind of innocence wide-eyed innocence I suppose mm. um, kind of not really pretending to be really stupid but like just being really bewildered about everything like mm. really you know that kind of attitude to everything. Yeah, you used to come on stage and go, my name's Ard Hanlon and here's some things I know. Yeah. That was your opening yeah. line. <laughs> yes, and I know some things and now I'm going oh, to tell it? you some of the things I know. Oh, that was it, yeah. yeah and yeah. I just tell people loads of things that I know. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but I still try to retain some of that, you know, like it's, mm. it's uh, it, it, like it stood me in good stead, you know, uh, uh, over the years. But I just mm. think, you know, it's very hard like to come up with really good crafted one-liner type surreal jokes mm-hmm. one after another you know I really admire people like Milton Jones who does, does that you know the, 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 the American comedian Stephen Wright from years ago would mm-hmm. have been a huge influence on me um, I love Milton and, and, and you know uh, Stuart Francis as well you know people who come up with really just brilliantly crafted lines but, event, but I find particularly in Ireland as well you know people want something more relatable 
Mm. You know, they want to te- they want you to be truthful. Actually, mm. it's why Tommy is so successful, and um, you know, just that that just seems to be the type of thing people go for, like real life, and you know, tell us about our lives. Yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah, they do. Stories. They They love stories. Don't really go for that one-liner, clever stuff. Not really. No, not really. And and the one thing about writing that kind of stuff is the the one line. It's brilliant, but it only lasts twenty seconds. Yeah, and so to write a whole set of that stuff. Exactly, and like you know, you see, you know, you watch someone like Tommy. You know, he'll he'll have he'll have an idea, and he'll just run with it for ten minutes, and he'll mine it. You know, mind the shite out of it. Yeah, and look at it from every single point of view, and and you know, build up to a big climax. And you know, that's really what you need if you want to be a, a, a year-round touring comedian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to develop an idea, and not yeah. necessarily be getting laughs all the time. Maybe. Oh, you, you know. have to. You have to. You know. Yeah. You or also to. performance. I mean, Tommy uses his performance a lot. As well. Yeah. Yeah. So when you were growing up in, in it was in Monaghan, yeah, yeah, you were. Was there any uh, thoughts in your head that you were going to do something like performing or? or no, no, definitely not, mm. definitely not. I mean, just it was the furthest thing possible from the way I was brought up. I mean, there was no performing bones really. My mother, <laughs> she told me that she used to act in the drama society in UCG. She went to UCG, mm. and um, she loved all that, and she she she. She liked theatre and everything, but there was no sign of it when we were growing up. Well, your father's a politician. There's a bit of performing there, isn't there? Yeah, but like he was a very like shy person. I mean, he was Mm. like, you know, he was an unlikely politician. Um, Really, yeah. He wasn't like one of those, you know, he he would, you know, he wasn't like a fiery politician, you know, Um, you know, making impassioned speeches and that. He he was a heads down sort of hardworking constituency man, you know. Right, so the whole the speeches and all that that wasn't yeah that, that he, didn't come easy to him or naturally right. to him. I mean, obviously you had to make a lot of them, and you know you you, you have to you have to you know you're, you're at loads of things every day and you have to speak at them. Mm. But you know it certainly didn't come from that. I suppose the only thing that that sort of helped with was you know the idea that even very shy people can project themselves in public. Mm. Do you know? So it's not it's not the hardest thing in the it's not the it's not the strangest thing in the world growing up in a house like that then to suddenly find yourself on a stage did you see your father doing any like live doing any of the speeches doing politics doing the politics did you see him did he go up in, uh, yeah, in front I of the church him, or anything no I would have seen him on the yeah. back of a truck on the main yeah. street like coming up to election time and that was kind of exciting elections were yeah. I think they were much more exciting when we were growing up sort of 70s 80s oh, than they yeah. are the Jack like Lynch now kind of no one really cares anymore yeah. but when we were growing up it was like still mm-hmm. a really big deal and everyone voted and you know, uh, yeah, really high percentage of people voted. Yeah, wasn't it? and there wasn't the same kind of like it wasn't all media managed and it wasn't all on TV and you know uh, mm. sound bites and spin doctors. It was like it was it was it was blood and guts and it was out in the streets and it was pounding the pavements and on the back of trucks and all that. Yeah, so there was a kind of a fever in the air when there would be an election. Yeah, it was yeah, kind of exciting. I remember getting into the uh, election that Jack Lynch won, won, overwhelmingly won, and helped my father put up posters and stuff. Yeah. And my father got out, got out on top of the trailer outside Mass, and he was terrible. It was really <laughs> embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. He hardly said anything, but uh, but yeah, that was it yeah. was amazing. It was amazing. But like in terms of you know sort of uh, you know performing or anything like that, like I had no idea what I wanted to do. I mean, just just no idea. I love reading and I love playing football. They were they were they were the two things I spent almost all the day doing. Yeah, yeah. And what kind of stuff were you reading? 
Mm. Um, like I was reading everything. Like I used to, I was, I used to come home and read the paper at lunchtime. Yeah, like I was that old fashioned. I think from the age of six, I would come home and read the papers. Yeah, and I would know. You remember, like, you know. So I, I loved soccer, but I also loved Gaelic football and I loved rugby. I loved everything. So I knew all the teams because they used to, they used to give you the teams and that. And the, so I knew like the whole Longford team. Do you know what I mean? I would yeah. know every single player. I, I read every single part of the paper, like small ads. Yeah. Yeah, big ads, uh, just all the paper from cover to cover. Just just because uh, it was one of the few things, you know, that, that was always there to read. And you were into like Gaelic and soccer and uh, yeah, all, yeah. All, all sports. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And and mm. I love, I played Gaelic for Carrick Macross mm. and um, played soccer all the spare moments of the day. Yeah, you're great. Soccer player. Oh, thank you, Joe. So, so are you. We're, <laughs> Skillful. God, we're the best two players ever. <laughs> and did you uh, uh, watch it on telly? Well, did you have like BBC and all that? Did you watch Match of the Day and all that? Um, yeah, well, uh, um, I, I, we watched the big match on uh, Sunday afternoon, ITV. Because oh, okay. we lived in the border area, so we used yeah. to get... Like, you could get free. Channels. Yeah, we free. could, yeah, yeah. Leaking over the border. Uh, so I do remember free. Brian wore a big match on a Sunday afternoon. That was okay. the main outlet. Because the, the weird thing about it, I was into soccer, but I very seldom saw it. Yeah. So uh, I had all that... And, and Scorcher used to give you these... Uh, Scorcher or Shoot magazine, actually, used to give you these uh, cardboard things where you could change the the tables of all the divisions and you could move them around the teams so I used to look at the back of the paper on every Sunday and move the teams up and down like even like the third Scottish division I knew all the (laughs) it's funny well you mentioned Shoot Magazine that was another of of, like every every week that was the one Mm. indulgence that that I had at home like that was sort of my pocket money was Shoot Magazine yeah I think it came out on a Thursday or something and I just you couldn't wait for Shoot to come out yeah and actually, you know, when you were in Mr. Trials, you did a sketch that was very similar to something you'd see in Shoot. You know, when the player's running with the ball and he says something. Didn't you do oh, a sketch yeah, yeah. like that? To, yeah, 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 yeah. You'd have the players and there'd be speech bubbles. Yeah, the, that's right. Yeah. God, I don't think we did it very often. I don't think that was one of our, one of our highlights. But uh, That was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, and so like then you you uh, didn't do any performing in school or anything like that. Nothing, no, absolutely no. not. I mean, really, I mean, chronically shy. Just you know, I just hid really throughout childhood. The only time I kind of expressed myself was out in the playground playing football. Once I had a ball at my feet, mm. I was like absolutely fine. But actually talking to people or mm. you know contributing in class or any of that kind of stuff. Certainly not. And um, what was your ambition? I, mean, I used to do a joke, like, yeah. which is sort of true. It was about uh, about what do we see now? It was uh, uh, I remember my first ever time in a school concert. Um, I was playing the part of Brendan in Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Brendan being the dwarf's cousin who lives in a very faraway mountain, and he has to go out and have the car park. That's there. right. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and that was the truth. Like, I, I was. I mean, there was one incident. Uh, it was one of those Christmas concerts, mm. and I, 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 this was this was my only memory of being on a stage as a child. Uh, I was I was an angel, and I had polystyrene wings like made out of coat hangers and little sheets of polystyrene. Mm. And I remember I was terrified and I didn't want to go on. And one of my wings fell off, and I just remember thinking, I just now I definitely can't go on because <laughs> I've only got one wing, and everyone will think I'm an idiot, <laughs> a really crap angel. So and I didn't go on, and I remember the teacher trying to push me and go, go on, on you get, and mm. I just couldn't, couldn't do it. 
isn't that flipping bizarre that, that you end so up being bizarre. an actor and a comedian and you so didn't want to go on so street. didn't want to go on and and, uh, and, uh, and like the first time that I ever did like I, once I got to secondary school you know you get in with people and you have a great laugh and you know mm. even though you like there might have been only three or four of us and maybe most people didn't know we existed but in, within your own little group you think you're the funniest people in the world mm. And we all, you know, I love, re- you know, we read a lot. So, you know, you get a lot of inspiration from that, like all the great Irish writers, you know, and all the other great writers from other places. Yeah. Um, Ka- Kavanaugh, I presume. Kavanaugh, I love Kavanaugh. Big hero. From yeah, me. absolutely. But all the Flan O'Brien, you know, you discover yeah. Flan O'Brien and then, you know, mm. y- y- that opens up a whole new world to you. Yeah. And no, uh, co- comedy. and Comedy like world, yeah. Funny Irish writing. And that you can write like that and you yeah. can make up crazy stuff and... You know, yeah. and yet it's kind of rooted in a kind of Irish mythology, and uh, it's it's yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, it's it's very inspiring. I think you speak to a lot of Irish comedians, and I'm sure a lot of the people would say Flan and Brian Beckett, all these guys, and yeah, um, but you know, you particularly get particularly Flan and Brian though. I remember seeing the brother on television. The yeah. brother was turned into a play. Um, can't remember the name of the actor, but just one man in a snug of a pub, and Jesus, it was yeah. brilliant. Eamon Morrissey, wasn't Eamon Morrissey, it? yeah, that's yeah. right, it was amazing. Incredible. Who, uh, who played a priest in Father Ted. He played uh, a priest in Father Ted. He was also in a thing that Owen O'Neill did after, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. The Cassidy's. No. No. Some other family okay. name. Fitzgerald's yeah. or something uh, like yes, that. Yes, yeah. I remember now, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, then... But yeah, no, the first time I ever, um, mm. uh, ever actually performed willingly, um, but like I was really terrified, was at school then, in the last year of school, leaving search year at school, there was an annual debate um, and so, you know, the the fellas who were going on to be lawyers and everything would get up and do their debate. And I remember just thinking, I'm going to do this. And I wrote a, what I thought was a funny speech, mm. not nothing to do with what we were supposed to talk about. And I remember I got up there and people look at me going, you know, who is this guy? Like I was I was really anonymous, like in, in, at school. Mm. And uh, I just got up there and I was I was shaking and I was terrified and sweating and you know, all the things that happen to you in extreme situations. And I remember mm. just, you know, start oh, starting to talk and uh, like it just immediately people start laughing and it was a great feeling. Yeah. Uh, um, so it just, you know, because you don't really know if anything you write is going to be funny, but like, you know, luckily it was funny and, and, and it was so unexpected as well coming from the source of me mm. and also just, you know, because nobody was doing that kind of thing. At the time, everyone was just sticking to the motion that they were given. So that was just a, that was a real eye opener. And that was in school, was it? That was that was sort of the last term in school. So I waited that long, mm. you know. And I used to, you know, you used to see school plays, and I used to, kind of, I used to kind of be quite envious of the people in the school plays, and especially because the girls' schools were involved as well, mm. you know. And so they all had a great time, and mm. um, you know, I and I used to kind of think, you know, but I never thought like I I could do that. Or but were you thinking <coughs> what something? What what would you do when you left school? What, what were you thinking? Yeah. Well, like. Mm. I did like the old writing thing, you know, and I used to kind of doodle a bit and mm. um, try to write, I don't know, poems. <laughs> and, uh, Were you into music as well? Like I was into music, but I was on musical. Like, I, I loved mm. music and, and, you know, I was into punk and all that. Mm. But I didn't, um, I, I didn't, you know, I'm totally on musical, can't sing or, you know, can't play anything. Mm. Right, yeah. Not like you. Well, I could barely play the guitar. Yeah, you were very good. Oh, thanks very much. We're both very good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, did you go straight to college then? 
did you? Uh, was yeah. it, it was NIHE, wasn't that's it? Right, it yeah. was called at the yeah. time, which is DCU. Right. DCU now, yeah. yeah, yeah. And yeah. that was, um, yeah, that's just so great. I mean, college is just so brilliant for for so many people. For people like me, I think it's really brilliant because mm. it's a it's an absolute chance to reinvent yourself. You know, right? Yeah. You 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 kind of you leave kind of home behind. You know. Like I had a happy home life, but you know it's it's kind of like it's still it's still home, and you kind of have to behave, and you have to behave in a certain way, and you have to you know go along with the rules and everything, mm. um, and you know it's it's kind of it's kind of claustrophobic in one way, and mm. then and then you know then school you know you, there's very rigid codes at school whether you're aware of them at the time or not you know you are who people tell you you are, and you have mm. to again behave in a certain way, yeah. and then. You know, you go to college and it's just this one chance for a lot of people just to break out. And you can be anything then, you know, you, 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 you like, you know, if, if, if you're gay, that's when you come out, perhaps, you know, and if you're not gay, then, you know, but you come out as a performer or, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever's in you is, yeah. has a chance to come out. Yeah, I know. Or even it doesn't necessarily mean college. It could mean just moving to Dublin, which I did. You know? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But I just think college gives you that kind of little bit of time where, you know, you don't have to yeah, you don't think have to for yourself or, too hard. Or, you know, well, you do have to think. You, you start to think for yourself for the first time, definitely. And in a good course or a good college, you're encouraged to do that. But mm. you don't, ha- you know, you don't have that responsibility of earning mm. a living. Yeah, yeah. You know, for that first, for that couple of years, there's just a little window. Mm. Well, yeah. for me, that was the dole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was my college education. Yeah. But that, you were in a class as well with the load of people who went on to become... Yeah, well, obviously, was Barry Murphy in that class? Yeah. Kevin Gildee? Yeah, yeah, me and Barry were really good friends in yeah. college and Kevin was a year ahead of us, but we became very friendly with him through the debating, actually. Okay, and um, Kevin's sister? Kevin's sister was in my class, Anne. Anne? Yeah. Uh, who, Pat O'Mahony? Who was one of the newlers. Uh No? Pat O'Mahony, yeah, he was a couple of years ahead of us. Who who went on to uh, produce these yeah. Yeah, no, it was an interesting course. You know, it was an interesting yeah. time as well. Like it was, there wasn't much of that sort of stuff going on. Media type courses. Yeah. My, mine was. It was called communications. Mm. It was a relatively new course in a relatively new young university, and um, you know, it did attract a lot of sort of you know people like ourselves who who didn't really know what we wanted to do, mm-hmm. but knew it it wanted to be sort of loosely in sort of journalism or media or you know advertising or something like that. Yeah, you know, certainly didn't know about comedy. You know, that wasn't really on the radar. So comedy was not on the radar at all at that well, stage. Well, not really, like yeah. because there was no, you know, there was no one doing it. Yeah, you know, what year is this you're talking about now? I'm talking about 1984. 1984. Okay. Yeah. Um, be, so did you start the? When did you, what made you think of comedy then? What what was the well? I mean, it, just, I suppose it's just sort of moving on from like so doing the debates and or doing the one debate in secondary school to to sort of you know joining a debating society and you know just looking for crack that was a big part of it and and mm. people like Barry Murphy and like minded people like that you know we were just always looking for crack and mm. um, we found a certain amount of it in the debating society there's a big debate scene in Dublin universities um, and we just went in with the absolute intention of sabotaging that right, and yeah. undermining it and just going in and making a big joke out of everything right right Uh and we sort of, we even had a little fan club at university, you know, uh, like where people would come around to watch us doing our stupid debates and just trying to make each other laugh. And and then there was uh, there was this one thing, like, you know, student politics was really 
divisive and aggressive and, and it was a big thing in universities as well. I don't know if it is now, but it was mm. it was really hardcore stuff in those days. And, uh, you know, there was an election for the student union president. So I went for that uh, on a complete joke ticket. Just, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, what kind of things were you offering? Oh, I can't remember, but yeah. I had a big manifesto with a hundred things on it. You know, yeah. I, was, I was going to take the chips out of the marmalade, you know, the, all this kind of stuff. <laughs> and, uh, and then we had a post campaign. Barry is a really good artist and he, he sort of did the posters and mm. we had a manifesto, which was all typed up and photocopied. And then I would do speeches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I like it was just, it, but, but again, it was just, that was, I suppose, the first sort of attempt at satire. Yeah, know, yeah. At, at satire. You were satirizing student politics. How ridiculous. They were and politics generally, I suppose. Mm. Mm. So you know, it was things like that. I mean, that you know, that was that was all that was available to you. You had to make your own amusement. You know, there was a massive recession in Ireland at the time. It was worse than today. You know, the recent one. Yeah. Oh God, it was shit. Yeah. It was shocking. Mm. I mean, it was so miserable. Like most people joined bands, you included. Yeah. yeah. And um, some people became poets. You would see poets on Grafton Street. <laughs> loads of them like hundreds of them you walk like from the top of Graf Street to the bottom of Graf Street and you would see a hundred people reading their poems out loud you know and luckily that doesn't happen today <laughs> yeah there was a guy who used to I mean Barry used to take the piss out of him but he used yeah. to go I'd like to buy a poem yeah there was like, loads of that going on and <laughs> bands I mean the band scene was was huge that's because people had to you know you had to do things for yourself so so mm. you know I wouldn't I wouldn't swap those times for anything yeah it was certainly a do-it-yourself kind of attitude. Yeah. Because even most of the people in bands never couldn't play an instrument before they were in the band. Yeah. In fact, you could you could form a band and maybe one of one of them could play an instrument. Yeah. And then we just we'd form a band anyway. And it's a bit like that in comedy. Like no one really knew how to do it. I mean, mm. you know, it was it, it, it like you know you you just get up there and you you sort of have people that you admire but you didn't really see much comedy you know because there was no YouTube so you didn't YouTube. see it uh-huh. you saw a Robin Williams video you saw an Eddie Murphy video mm. um, and you saw a Stephen Wright video mm. that was kind of it that's all you had to go well, with yeah but there was also a big influence from Monty Python wasn't there I mean everyone yeah in fact you know it was very interesting that I thought you'd never heard comedy in an Irish accent and a lot of yeah. people, when they were doing sketches at home, they'd put on British accents. Yeah, did, did, yeah. You know? No, you're absolutely right there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The Monty yeah. Python would have been a big, yeah, influence. Not mm. consciously, but. Mm. And then I suppose when we started, there was um, there was a really big explosion of sort of stand-up comedy in Britain at the time. Yeah. So there were a few shows coming on. And there were some lads with Irish accents. You'd see Michael Redmond coming on the telly or, mm. or Sean Hughes coming on the telly. And just being blokey and ordinary people, mm. you know, not telling jokes as such, but, you know, telling little, ma- making little observations about their life or about the world generally. And so then you, that's when you sort of got the clue, you know, wow, yeah, you know, maybe we could do this as well, yeah. you know, because we make each other laugh. And so maybe, maybe we just take that to the next level. So, I, yeah. So did you decide to to start a club or a comedy night or something? What, what happened there? Yeah, well, we, we started out at a college, like, you know, when you part, you know, you say, well, look, you know, after the summer holidays, we'll uh, we'll get together and sure, we'll see. Barry had been to London. He'd seen the comedy store All right. in action. He'd seen, I think, he, you know, I, I forget who he saw there, but some people who went on to be household names anyway. And he said, you know, we can, we can do something similar here. Yeah. <laughs> so he had the vision. He came back. And I suppose we we just looked around Dublin, just look, looking for a room. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
we, we, we stumbled upon a few places and we put on a few very occasional shows. I suppose so we sat together in a room for maybe a few weeks. And who, who, who are the people you're talking about here? Well, you're talking about the very first meeting was probably um, uh, Carl McDermott, Dermot Carmody and Barry, Kevin and myself. Yeah. I think that was the very first meeting. Yeah. Uh, and how did you meet Carl McDermott? Carl McDermott was doing yeah, stand up before stuff. that. He was doing stuff. And he how was going did you to Edinburgh and contact uh, him. I don't know. We must have gone to see him in a one man show or something. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Kevin McAleer was doing stuff as well, but that yeah, was different. The thing is, I've just talked to Kevin McAleer yeah. and uh, he he has never been in the international bar. He's never been in the building. Yeah. And uh, uh, and the thing is, that everyone says that was the first comedy club, but there was yeah. apparently one on Harcourt Street and he did that. Yeah, and Michael the, Redmond did. Yeah, it. there was de- there was yeah. a, there was a few false starts. I, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, Billy McGrath was a very influential person, yeah. very instrumental in sort of bring, bringing comedy along in Ireland. So he he had a few clubs from time to time. Yeah. which I think are the places like Kevin McAleer, Michael Redmond, and Sean Hughes, and uh, people like that would have yeah. would have started. But they very quickly moved on to London. You know, yeah, they had yeah. a cop on they didn't go to London here, straight yeah. away and stay here because it wasn't sustainable. Mm. And like. Uh, so, so I would absolutely tip the hat to those early clubs, mm-hmm. uh, uh, but I just think the international. Were you bar, aware of them? Not at the time? really, no. not really at all. Mm. Um, uh, no, no, okay, no. So you wanted to start your own place. So right? well, there was not nowhere to play. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah, just yeah. when we were when we were starting, there was nothing. Mm-hmm. There was literally nothing, and uh, so we we after about six months, we found the little room above the international bar. And the reason why that gets the kudos it gets is because it's lasted longer than all the others. Yeah, sure. Because there was no overheads. So it wasn't like hard to run it. You didn't, you know, if five people turned up, that was grand. Mm. If 50 people turned up, better. But, you know, mm. so, um, you know, that's been running ever since. So what, you just went in, uh, you looked for it, you found Absolutely. a room. Simon the Barman. Hi, Simon. Uh, yeah. We'd seen the legendary Hoods, a kind of a jazzy blues band mm. playing there on a Sunday night and thought, well, that's a, that's a good sized room for us. Yeah. Very handy. You know, it wouldn't take too much to fill that. Mm. And uh, we just went in and we said, can we can we borrow that room on a, on a Wednesday night? Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, OK, go on. <laughs> and just let us do it. And I don't think he even stuck his nose in for the first six months or mm. um, and he, eventually he became our friend and adopted us but so for the very first night what, did you sit around and just write sketches or something yeah like, I think you, in my bed I was living in a bed sit and we used to meet there and we used to sit around and write sketches Dermot Carmody was part of Mr Trellis to begin with so there was four of us then there was Carl who was doing his own little bits mm. and then there was a crowd called your sister my sister no your, your sister oh really Carmel yeah, used to go out with Robert. Yeah, Robert, yeah. And Eng- Robert English. Robert English. Yeah. And Mick Nolan. Uh, yeah, Mick Nolan, who's, I think he's on Fair City or something. That's uh, right, and Tom. So th- there was another s- sketch group oh, in right. Dublin at the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't remember what they're called, but I will, I'll ask Yeah, them. but they had really good sketches as well. I remember they used to do a brilliant um, piss take of Shadow of the Gunman, the case play. Oh, yeah, right. And they Shall might have done that? some kind of film noir type sketches yeah, so, as well. So they yeah. were doing something yeah. similar. Yeah. Um a bit more rooted in Irish theatre maybe than what we were doing. Mm. Like we were coming from a more like British comedy, anarchic kind of background. Yeah. And so you put all those together. So Carl was doing his kind of, he had impressions, Robert De Niro impressions and uh, mm. film impressions and stuff oh, like yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, do you remember? Yeah, he Brando did Shakespeare. Uh, De Niro yeah. did Shakespeare. Yeah, and Carl was great. Yeah, brilliant. Was really funny as well. Mm. And uh, so that was sort of the nucleus. So, so, so there was... Uh, 
Robert and Mick and Tom doing their sketches and then there was us doing our sketches and then there was Carl doing his monologues and that was the first ever show Right yeah and where yeah. did the audience come were they from NAHE mostly uh, Yeah there would have been friends yeah. And, and, yeah. And, and people like that and, and um, yeah it was a very it was a very small dedicated audience to begin with for the yeah. first few months and then it's not that long after that that people like yourselves well, Quack, uh, Quack, Quack Squad Yeah there was a you know what me and Paul were doing stuff and I'd heard about the kind of maybe heard there was a comedy club but presumed it was shit <laughs> just yeah. presumed it would be well, shit yeah you always have you to know? assume that <laughs> so uh, we it probably was <laughs> well no it wasn't but uh, we went and asked bands if we could support them and things right. like that or we went to the we did the art college a couple of times but well, uh, I remember seeing Paul Tylock oh but sorry I was in the band Guernica and Paul we, used to support us yeah because yeah, I remember yeah, seeing yeah, him supporting yeah. um, is it Baby Shambles Oh yeah, Baby Shambles. Yeah, um, yes, I remember that band. I yeah, can't remember the I lead singer. Really, that was the first time I'd ever seen Paul and seen this really weird guy, you know, getting up before and like it was really odd to see comedy with music. Yeah, yeah, and but but before uh, Paul supported us, also Sean Hughes and another guy called and they were called the Short and Curlies. Yeah. supported us. Yeah. So wow, they, they were doing that bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I remember your band. I used to love your band as well. Yeah. And uh, so then I actually met you lads when there was an improv course, a course for studying improv. Yeah. I can't remember who did that, Simon Clayton. and Yeah, but again, it was Billy McGrath who, saw, who, who was sort of instrumental in putting that together. OK, yeah. yeah he, always had, he always had bigger plans than we had. Like we always, we were mm. kind of very much grassroots and just doing this for our own benefit to learn and to get by. And, you know, yeah. Um, and Billy always wanted to, you know, sort of make a business around it. And is that when you met Billy for that improv thing? Or did you know Billy before that? I, no, I, well, my first encounter with Billy was he was always like interested in what was going on in comedy. Right, yeah. Um, and my, my first experience with him was just a bizarre one. He, uh, because he was sort of known as a Mr. Comedy sort of in Ireland. Mm. And so somebody in Zambia. Was oh, what's the gig? I heard about this. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody in Zambia wanted uh, an Irish comedian to come out. Yeah for their St. Patrick's Day annual celebration. It was a big deal and like the St. Patrick's Day night was a, was one of the biggest nights in the social calendar for the entire expat community of Zambia. Yeah. So, <laughs> so Billy says, uh, do you want to come out? <laughs> um, do you want to come out to Zambia <laughs> ten, for 10 days uh, for no money? And I went, uh, yeah, okay. Um, I don't think I'd been out of the country that much, you know. Yeah. And um, had a fantastic time and it was a brilliant gig. Yeah. Uh, Really, really bizarre gig. I, I actually remember when I was doing the gig, um, this waiter kind of walks across the floor and gives me a note. And the whole sort of show stopped for, for a minute or two. Mm. And uh, uh, the note said um, that one of the organisers' car had just been stolen. <laughs> I, had yeah. read, I had to read this out in the middle of my eye. His car had been stolen and the two people who were in it were dying in hospital <laughs> because they had crashed into a wall. So, yeah, um, so I had to to interrupt my own show with that uh, urgent announcement. It's incredible. Yeah. That's amazing. Did did it recover? Did the show recover from that? Uh, Yeah, no, it did. I I mean, like, I I suppose it was was probably my biggest gig to date at that time. Like, I'd only been doing it for two years and it was probably 
like the most nerve wracking moment of my life. Like, so you were so pumped up for it. And, mm. you know, and I wouldn't have had a huge amount of material to draw on or anything. So you were really scraping the barrel, you know, trying to get a good 20 minutes mm. together. Yeah. <laughs> but the adrenaline got you through. The adrenaline got me through. And mm. I'd, I'd done a lot of like local references and I'd really done my homework about what was going on in Zambia at the time. And right, 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 right. And so then also, uh, we, we, so that we joined it, myself and Paul, we started doing yeah, gigs and there. Alex Lyons. Alex Lyons, yes. right, right, right. Yeah. Alex came in and. Mm. He he sort of um he brought a, all his advertising mates in. So like the audience started to swell a bit like then when yes. Alex got involved and Jerry Kennedy, another person from advertising came in and oh, yeah. you know, um uh so that's when it was sort of beginning to take off a bit, maybe two or three years in. Yeah. More and more comedians were getting involved. So now you had a pool of maybe ten or twelve people to choose from yeah. rather than the same guys doing it every night. Yeah, uh, there was Fat Man's Picnic Basket. Fat Man's Picnic Basket joined in Ian Coppinger and um Ian Coppinger and Paddy Hickey. Paddy Hickey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Mark Staunton then used yeah, to do it. Right. So you had enough people then to almost uh, Yeah, so ch- so it, it it was a monthly club to begin with, then it was a weekly club. Mm. And uh, you know, we used to do a mixture of kind of stand up and sketches and mm. um and yeah, yeah, eventually you had a little pool of people, but you know, you were doing it every week, so that was the good thing because mm. then you were kind of you know, you had something, it was a focal point of the week, Wednesday night. And it was also a brilliant social night. Do you remember? Oh, yeah. Like, Jesus, again, those times, you could never swap that. You you, you went off afterwards, that's right, to Blazes. Blazes, or yeah, drinking Or sometimes back wine. to my house. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, where we'd play poker until the yeah, early hours well, of the morning. Don't talk about the night I was there, because... I was I, I had a cold and I drank cough mixture and then I had a few whiskeys and I was pissed and I, I nearly went to the jacks on your couch. Oh really? Oh, yeah. that wouldn't have been. You don't remember that? That wouldn't have been the first time. That would have been, <laughs> that would have been a regular enough occurrence. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I didn't actually do that, but I almost did. Um, anyway, so I mean, you don't you didn't even remember it. No. So I didn't even have to bring that Genuinely up. Genuinely didn't. Holy remember. shit! Anyway, so what? What? At what point did you? think I'll move to London were you doing gigs in London before that or and, uh, and, and was there like a kind of a, a difficult break up with Mr Trellis that you were going away and kind no, of breaking there up wasn't really, the trio there, no there definitely wasn't I mean say, Mr Trellis by the way if anyone uh, doesn't know is, is was yourself uh, Kevin Gilly and Barry, Barry Murphy, Murphy yeah. yeah yeah and so. well it wasn't no it, it, it was um, Barry had sort of I don't know he was he was kind of he might dispute this, but he, to, to me and Kevin, he was sort of moving on. He was doing mm. other things. Uh, he, he, he was doing a lot of voiceovers at the time and he was, um, he just didn't seem as interested right. or, or maybe, maybe he just didn't see that it, there was much of a future in it and maybe he was right mm. um, or whatever. But, but and me and Kevin were kind of beginning to focus more and more on our stand up anyway. Yeah. So I think it was a really natural thing to do to go to London. We'd put it off for a long time. We'd stayed around as long as we could. We, you know, by then you were kind of picking up little college gigs and maybe little arts festivals here and there. But you're not making a living, really. Can't really make a living. It's yeah. really it was really hard to make a living. You know, you, you know, and you'd go to all you know parts of the country just trying to scrabbling around looking for little gigs here and there. But there was no scene mm-hmm. as such. Uh, and then we had gone to Edinburgh once or twice and we'd done really, really well. Particularly the first year we went to Edinburgh, we went to this So You Think You're Funny competition, which all the comedians do nowadays. And uh, 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 Doing stand-up? Uh, no, we did No, our, as did Mr. Trellis, yeah, the sketch show. Yeah, that's yeah. right, yeah. Um, synchronised swimmers doing impressions of famous films. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. the likes. Yeah. Uh, and we came third in that competition, although everyone agrees that we were completely robbed. Uh, we should have come first. But... 
Mm. And we were sleeping on people's floors and, you know, that's, again, really exciting time as well, going to Edinburgh for the first time mm. and then really seeing what's available and mm. what you can do and, you know, the potential out there and the different types of acts that, you, that, that you'd see. And, you know, so um, I suppose I suppose that is really the, I don't know, the catalyst for moving on. You just think, well, look, there's really nothing in Ireland. Mm-hmm. You know, put it off for long enough. Like, if I'm going to make a go of this, you just have to take the plunge. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And then you won, uh, I think you won, um, there was a couple of stand-up competitions. You won. Yeah, yeah. I did, yeah, in what my first couple of months. So yeah. I was really lucky to hit the ground running over there because that's another thing. You're, you're kind of funneled into these competitions as soon as you get there. Like, there's so much comedy going on and there's so many people doing it. Mm. Um, you know, it was like the gold rush or something, you know, in, in terms of comedy. You know, it's right. just everyone goes to London, you know, comedy. You know, that's mm. where that's where the, the centre of gravity for the comedy world is. And mm. I was just... You know, really, look, I won this Hackney Empire competition, new act of the year, and then there was another one sort of in the same week or two. And uh, so you kind of feel that gives you a lot of confidence. It yeah. doesn't really give you much else. But I mean, at least people know your name then and they, they book you because like what you do is when you go to London first is you spend most of your time on the phone mm. begging people to give you a, a break, mm. to give you a five minute open spot or 10 minutes or whatever. And, you know, if you're lucky, you might get a 20 minute paid spot. But yeah. you know, that's not, you know, not be paid very much for that. Mm. So uh, at least with with those competitions under my belt, I suppose I was able to get the gigs. Yeah, and then you were able to work every night of the week. And who were you hanging out with then originally in London? Well, it would have been did, Kevin, and it would have yeah. been Dylan Moore, and I suppose. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, he was over there then. Yeah, yeah, he was. Right. He went early. Yeah, he, he had the cop on to he go did early. About three gigs in Dublin and then left. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did. He he he, uh, he he would have done the international bar like a good few times, mm. uh, and then he was over there. Andrew Maxwell didn't didn't hang about too long either yeah, I don't think at right, home yeah, 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 he yeah. was over there uh, so yeah it would have been a lot of the Irish and what lads. about uh, Arthur and Graham? were you hanging out with them Arthur Matthews and Graham Lennon yeah the writers of Father Ted yeah. well um, I, I, I didn't really know them well but I, I, I yeah I kind of hung out with them a bit but mm. this is before they wrote Father Ted I suppose oh yeah they were writing yeah. for uh, they wrote for Alex an Alexi yeah. Sales um yeah, the series. They wrote a sitcom called Paris with Paris. Alexis Sale in it, and yeah, then yeah. they had also written a lot for Smith and Jones. Yeah, uh, in fact, sketch show. they were staying in a house uh, owned by yeah uh, Jones. Jones, mm-hmm. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah. but uh, they, you weren't necessarily hanging out with them in, on a regular basis, right? No, no, maybe the odd time. How long were you? Sean over? Hughes, I used to see a bit of. Oh, well. right, yeah, okay, yeah. And was he big then? Did the show? He was really big then. Yeah, he was really, really big then. And um, Michael Redman was very helpful to me. He he was Mm -hmm. a very established comedian then. Um, People who don't know his name might know him as Father Stone. Yeah, Father Ten. He he just helped. You know, with his contacts, got me a lot of shows just to get me started. Stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Uh, His recommendation was was good enough. Right. To get me in the door of a few places. Right. Uh, and how long were you over in London then when you got an audition for Father Ted? I'd say oh. I was there for about, I'd say probably not even a full year. Yeah. Uh, but but I, I, I was very much um, absolutely integrated in the whole comedy, stand-up comedy scene mm. at that stage. And I was flying. I was really enjoying it. And, and how did your uh, parents think? What did they think of it? Were they happy that that's, that's the choice that you made? <laughs> We didn't talk about it much. I no. mean, you know, they like I. I think it, they found it all just, just really 
<laughs> really bizarre. Yeah. Really un- unlikely. And Is there an extra pressure when you're kind of the son of a public uh, really. figure? No? I mean, there is and there isn't. I mm. mean, I think if I had a state in Ireland, there would have been, it would have been really yeah. awkward for yeah. him and for me. Mm. You know, no one's going to take me seriously as a, as a comedian if your father's in politics. Mm. And no one's going to take him seriously <laughs> if his father's, if his son is undermining everything he stands for. Uh, I remember one of your jokes earlier on was when you took a sticker off a Mars bar. It was a price sticker and you put it on the fridge. And you said, look, Dad, the fridge cost 12p. Yeah. And your father said, no, son, it didn't. Was that, was that, was that uh, a reflection of <laughs> your father's sense of humour? He, he had a good sense of humour in lots of ways, but, you know, uh, <laughs> he was a very, like, he was a, he was a very sort of, I don't know, hard, you know, uh, he was very, he was, he was, he was very conscious always about his image. Yeah. Know, the public image and he, and he was a very correct person. So like any sort of humour would have been, you know, behind closed doors. You know what I mean? Mm, he would never. Mm. So, yeah, I think he would have found, I think he would have found it really, really awkward. Particularly, you know, the odd time that comedy reared its head above the parapet and people became aware of it or made mention of it. It was always done in a kind of a snidey way, you know. Yeah. Um, and like at the same time, you know, at, at college, I would have got involved in various campaigns. You know, uh, mm. I remember one, I forget what it was called, but do you remember the censorship? There used to be a lot of censorship. Uh, censorship of? Of like just the Republican movement. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The uh, Sinn Féin hadn't a voice. Yeah, they had to be dubbed. or something. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It was yeah. bizarre. So, you yeah, know, you, yeah. you kind of get involved in campaigns to repeal that and that. Yeah. And people would people would, would, would scour through all the names on the who signed the thing and they'd find, oh, we can we can embarrass a politician here because his son has signed that. Yeah. Or you know, so that kind of thing would go on. Mm. So for me, you know, for any number of reasons, I was better off in London. That was, that was one of them. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the main one. The main one was because there was loads of opportunities in London and there weren't any here mm-hmm. but certainly no one was ever going to make the connection between you and a senior political figure mm-hmm. in London yeah yeah nobody yeah. cared yeah yeah so then how did it come about that you were asked to do not I presume you did an audition was it for Father Ted was it was yeah it? I yeah. did yeah um, well that came about um, I was I'd actually would you believe it that morning there used to be a show on Channel 4 called The Big Breakfast Show yeah and that morning, I had been called in to do an audition as a roving reporter on that show, which yeah. I had no interest in getting up at that time of the day or anything. But uh, and then I was at I was at home in the flat I was in, and I got a call from Arthur Matthews, mm. who said, uh, "Oh, listen, we're just finishing up auditions today uh, for this show that we're written." And I I remembered the months ago t- telling me about a show they were writing, but you know, the, like you don't really believe it that you know you don't yeah. You know, when when they were telling me that, I didn't really pay much attention to it. You thought, oh, well, good luck with that. You know, yeah. hope, it, hope it works out for you. Um, you know, I'll never see the light of day. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, because most projects don't see the light of day. Yeah. Most things you start, you know, don't, don't, don't go too far. Yeah. But um, so he rang me and said, oh, you haven't come in. And I said, oh, well, I didn't know about it. And he said, well, can you get in now? We're, we're closing up at five o'clock. So this was about four o'clock. I was living, I think, in Battersea at the time. So I hopped on the bus and the tube and I got in there. And I was given a piece of paper and told to read it. And I, I, I read the Dougal lines and um, uh, Arthur laughed and Graham laughed, the two writers, and nobody else did. Yeah. Everyone else was kind of just looking, scratching their chins. And, um, you know, you had loads of people there. You had Channel 4 bosses there. You had the director, you had the producer, maybe one or two others. And then you had the writers. So the writers obviously thought I was suitable for this part. And so they were pushing me for it. Mm-hmm. Um 
but none of the other people seemed and in fact they told me subsequently they said no we just couldn't see it yeah you know the director Declan told me and Seamus Cassidy who was commissioning editor of Channel 4 at the time he told me he said no couldn't see it yeah <laughs> and then uh, and um, you're an unknown so and you're a total unknown absolutely yeah, yeah. so you know and I wasn't expecting it and I wasn't looking for it and I wasn't you know mm. like I was so busy with the stand up at that stage mm. and everything was going great and I was going to Edinburgh the next month and yeah. it was really exciting and then when I was in Edinburgh I get another call from uh, um, the producer Jeffrey Perkins I think had come around to he was slightly more persuaded and I remember he came to see me in Edinburgh mm. and um, he liked he liked what I was doing and you, you know you mentioned earlier that my persona at that time was kind of yeah, wide eyed innocent and all yeah, that so yeah. they could see so I think seeing the stand up then they were able to make more of a connection yeah yeah, like, yeah. like meeting someone in a room for an audition it's a horrible experience I know, yeah. you know even now if I wouldn't have these they call it interviews nowadays it sounds a bit better than audition mm. when you go in and it's like you know really you know are you going to be up are you going to be totally motivated in a sterile room with mm. people staring at you yeah are you going to be able to get into a, find a character find a tone you know it's just it's a it's a totally ludicrous situation mm. anyway Jeffrey came to see me doing the stand up and he liked that and I think he could see a, a, a kind of like the you know Dougal, a Dougal type thing emerging and um, so I get another call saying oh can you come over to Dublin uh, we, 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 we're looking at Dermot Morgan for the Father Ted role and we'd like to see the two of you read together Mm-hmm. So it was Hubbard's were doing the casting, and I, w- I went to their house then. So I was doing my show in Edinburgh that night. So I had to get up really early, yeah. fly over to Dublin, uh, met Dermot for the first time. Yeah. And we were given, again, given a few scenes to read in together, and we just read them together, mm-hmm. having very little time to bond or anything. Mm. And then um, I had to get back to Edinburgh straight away to do my show that night. Mm. And then about a week later, I got a call saying, Oh, you got the part. So. Wow. Mm. And you know, I didn't know what that meant. I I know I didn't have the first clue as to what being in a sitcom meant or anything. And it was uh, it was commissioned for six episodes. Yeah, yeah. it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. so when then did you start uh, straight into rehearsals after Edinburgh or what? Or yeah, I think it was fairly soon after yeah. that. Um, yeah. I think the first thing was there was a bit of location shooting, so that was probably just before Christmas in, in Ireland. In Ireland, yeah, yeah, October, November, maybe yeah, or September. Yeah. I can't really remember, but yeah, it was probably that autumn sometime. Mm-hmm. We spent maybe 10 days just doing all the little video inserts that you'd see, you know, yeah. during the show. Yeah. And then I think probably after Christmas, we went into the studio and did the first six episodes. So what's been nerve wracking because you're in front of a live audience and acting? And is, is that, was it? Yeah, it was. It kind of was and it wasn't. I mean, mm. I, I like, I, I, I didn't overthink it. I, mm. You know, you couldn't afford to. You, you know, you might have got a bit worried, but... I was there for the shooting of the first episode in the audience. Yeah. And it's a big, it's a big audience, a big studio. It's nothing like you see in RT. It's a lot bigger, you know. Yeah. No, definitely. And and I I think the stand up experience really stood me in good stead. Like definitely, you know, you you know, because I've seen it over the years with other actors with like, you know, more dramatic actors. They come into that environment and they're totally freaked out, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. uh, um, and I, so I think the stand-up thing, you know, you, you kind of know where to pitch it and where to get the laughs and all the rest. And yeah. Well, the actors are used to doing plays, but they're not used to leaving the gap for the laugh. Yeah. And then timing yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, yeah, and, yeah. and you know, you had you always had a good rehearsal period. You know, you had a good week where you're working it all out and then you'd record it on, on maybe a Friday night in front of the audience. Mm. So, but then you're pretty well drilled and everything. And oh, I thought it was when I, the one episode I did. I mean, Jesus, by the time you got in studio... 
yeah. knew it backwards. Yeah, yeah. you really did. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, did you think this is going to be? Did you have any idea this going to be big or? Uh, no, uh, no, definitely not. Um, you just thought. But you, did you enjoy it? Like, did oh, you I enjoy loved it. it? I yeah, loved yeah. it. I mean, but yeah. you, you know, like, yeah, no, I absolutely loved it. It was, it was, it was, it was very exciting, and mm. you know. Just I mean, it's part great to be involved in something that you really find funny. I mean, because quite yeah. often you won't be. Yeah, no. In fact, 99% of the time, it yeah. won't, you know, it won't be. You know, we, I think we were all really lucky that we, we, we happened upon this fantastic thing. It was really, really funny. You, you, given Arthur and Graham's track record mm. with Paris, the previous sitcom, mm. which died, uh, and, and, and sort of given the subject matter, which was kind of Irish priests on an island, you know, genuinely, I, I certainly thought that it was going to be very obscure at best, that people might like it, but not many people would see it. Mm. I didn't know what Irish people would make of it. Um, mm. And so definitely, yeah, we didn't think it was, we didn't think it was, I, mean, I didn't think it was going to, but I really loved doing it. And then when I saw it, you know, I remember going to Arthur and Graham's flat and we watched the first six episodes back to back. And I remember just, just laughing me whole off. Yeah. Just thinking, I didn't see myself in it or anything. I just just found the whole thing really, really funny. It absolutely worked, and so so that was good enough for me. I did not care about where course, it ended yeah. up after that because you know you're just back in the road again the next day. You're just you know on with your life, and mm. you know it's in it's in the lap of the gods then. Yeah, but you've done something you're really proud of. Absolutely, and it was you know it was my first real proper experience of television. I'd done tiny little things before. Mm. We did a film called Student Film. Before. Yeah, remember that film? yeah, that was really good. Yeah, yeah, I haven't seen it obviously in yeah. probably twenty years. But anyway, um, and then I think it was during. We also did another film. Oh, yeah, we did Flying Saucer, Flying Saucer, Rock, Saucer and Rock and Roll. That was a good that film. Was brilliant. That was a really good End film. Hughes, yeah. End of Hughes. Why didn't he? I know he made one other short film, yeah. but nothing else. Yeah, I know. I'm still very friendly with End, and I'm, mm. I, every time I meet him, I say, "Would you ever go and make another brilliant film? You eat yeah. it." Yeah. Mm. Oh, that was that was brilliant. Um, and, and I think it was during the shooting of the uh, second series that it started to get awards, wasn't it? Father yeah, Ted. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, then it, it, and you thought, here, this could be something big. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it, it yeah. went. It became really. Uh, yeah, became popular and started becoming popular in Ireland as well. People started becoming aware mm. of it more in Ireland because to begin with, like the reviews were very bad for the first series oh, were they? in Ireland. Yeah, yeah. There was one guy in the Sunday Press, which is, no longer exists, who loved it. And then everyone else hated it. Wow. Was yeah. It? They just yeah. didn't get it, you know. And there was a backlash from the Irish in Britain as well. Yeah, there was a it bit was of that as well. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. People just because it was it was kind of new and it was it was it was unusual to see Ireland on a British TV screen being depicted in this way. Mm. Um, so so people just kind of made a, a hasty judgment, I think. Mm. And then on reflection, with the second series things calmed down a bit and everyone could see more like what was going on like you were kind of that you weren't pandering to stereotypes you were playing with stereotypes mm-hmm. more than you know you were, you, were, you were like they were so exaggerated that you were you know you were exploding stereotypes yeah absolutely you know and, and uh, people couldn't really see that to begin with they just thought ah here we go again drunk Irish priest <laughs> stupid Irish priest <laughs> and feckless Irish priest you know, and and violently yeah, hospitable housekeeper. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, but it's written by Irish people, directed by an Irishman, and you know, it's the Irish Absolutely. taking the piss out of themselves, which is yeah. very different from. Yeah. But you're also taking the piss out of the fucking notion of Irish people. You know, that's yeah. what you're taking the piss out of. You're taking the piss out of the perception of Irish people. Yeah. 
So, you know, I think you have to appreciate that, Lara. But also, you're just trying to be really funny. I, I know. It's just, you know, that's funny. That's it's the main thing. It's just funny. funny. And, mm. you know, the writers were, were so clever and like they were tremendous students of comedy. Yeah. Sitcom and like, you know, there was, you know, the, the layers and layers of references, mm. you know, to other sitcoms, to comedy films, to comedy history. Mm-hmm. It's all in there, you know, in The Simpsons and Seinfeld. and Seinfeld was like a big influence, which you wouldn't think, would it? No, you wouldn't think. and mm-hmm. Or The Simpsons. And that was a huge influence as well. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. even stuff I notice now, like when, I, you know, sometimes you stumble upon a, a movie and uh, you see a scene and you go, oh, my God, Arthur and Graham more or less robbed that. Really? Like a, an old comedy film or something, you know, but they certainly got a, You can see sometimes where they get their ideas in hindsight. It might have been subconscious or something. No, it I might have know. been subconscious or it might be homage. I, I know that uh, Graham, because I sat and uh, watched TV up to the early, inst- you know, he, he, he used to watch TV all night up to 7am yeah. in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Not many people know how nerdy those two people are. I know. <laughs> Arthur and Graham. And there'd be a marathon of Seinfelds, like 10 yeah. in a row or something. Yeah. But uh, or, but you'd just be watching normal TV, something on TV, and Graham would go, oh, that's, that's, that's really good. And he'd write something down, mm. something would come to him. Yeah. Did you ever do that in stand-up? Like, are you one of those people? Like, if, if you're in a social gathering and you think of something funny or somebody says something that triggers something in yeah. your head. Would you be rude, that rude, to write, to just take out your pen and paper? Uh, no, no, I wouldn't take out my pen. I'd uh, maybe... Be, I, I, to be honest, I'd just probably forget it. At this, I think to myself, that's hilarious. I hope I, I, hope I remember I remember that this. On. And then later on, I'm going, what was that thing? Yeah. It was definitely very funny. But I, I don't think I'd start writing. I've would you? What? No, I wouldn't. But no. I would try and log it. Yeah. But yeah. I, it would have to be yours as well. I mean, I've been in situations where, I won't mention his name, but well-known comedian. And you're sitting around and you're talking and like you kind of come up with the initial funny thing, maybe. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, people will obviously chip in and add to it. And you mm. think, well, who owns that? Like, whose joke oh, no. is that? And I and he went, oh, God, that's very funny. Do you mind if I take this? Down? Yeah. <laughs> so he's claimed it. I've had that. I've had conversations with a fella in cars on the way to gigs and something funny. And then I see it on TV or mm. something in a sketch or something. That's really annoying. It is very annoying. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah so anyway, you're, they went along for the third series. It came massively huge. Did it incumbent? On, was it in, you know difficult for you, like going out and stuff like that? Has um, it been like you know? Kind of, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, it definitely changes things. You know, uh, from your, you know, because you know you're in control. Not, well, you're not totally in control as a stand-up, but you know, you know where you have to be and where you have to do what you have to do, and mm. you kind of have your, you know. It, but how, did it put pressure on your stand-up? I mean, I did, yeah. yeah. People, I think people's expectations would have been a bit different. You know, they would have maybe expected my stand-up to be a di- bit different than it was. Mm. I mean, a TV audience is not necessarily a stand-up comedy-going audience. Oh, so no. when they when they leave the comfort of the sitting rooms and the, and the, and they see in this environment and you're doing slightly different stuff and mm. it's slightly more I suppose Edgy robust or, or whatever it's not, you're not just a, yeah it's not as cuddly but you couldn't be <laughs> no, for in a whole be. hour or an hour and a half how could you absolutely you couldn't be and also yeah. you know because I was probably used to doing twenty minute sets mm. or half hour sets maybe mm. or at a stretch forty minute sets mm. you know then suddenly you know you're doing big theaters and you're doing a full hour or mm. twenty minutes or whatever and you know like I found that. I just found that step came a tiny bit too quickly for me. Mm. I probably needed another good hard graft on the circuit, mm-hmm. you know, before I was kind of ready for that big step up. Mm. 
And mm. so I did kind of struggle a bit that first couple of tours. I mean, I think the first tour was fine because you have loads of material that you can draw on. Mm. But the second tour then that I would have done maybe a couple of years after the first one, I just found that really hard to come up with the goods. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I was kind of, uh, yeah, it was a bit of a struggle. But also, yeah, it was the expectations, but also the scrutiny as well. Suddenly, you know, you're, you have to do media and <gasps> like that's such a, such a pain. People don't realise, you know, some people may like it some people may pretend to like well, it. You're talking about chat shows or interviews, I'm press about interviews? I'm talking about chat shows, yeah, press interviews, yeah, yeah. radio interviews, just the general level of scrutiny, you know, shoots up when you're, yeah. in, a, when you're in a very popular TV show. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's kind of hard to, to co- cope with, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. As I said, some people may love it. Some people, that may be what, you know, they thrive on. But mm-hmm. I, I don't think I was ever that person, you know. So, so you, you know, there is that tension in your life then where you're kind of just trying to keep your head down or... You know, which is a hard thing to do when you're a performer, you know. Yeah. And, you, you know, you want work. You like work. You like the work aspect of it. You and know? how was it on the set then? Let's say on the third series, was everything going well with the... Uh, yeah, it was going pretty well. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone was getting a wee bit edgy. You know, people people mm. were getting a bit excited about other things and all that. You know, so it, it was, mm. certainly wasn't beginning to fall apart, but the writers felt it written enough. Mm. Um, you know, I know Dermot had about 100 projects that he was trying to get off the ground. Mm. You know, I had loads of things going on and, you know, offers to do this and that and the other. And, um, you know, so it was it was very exciting. And, uh, 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 you know, there's no doubt about it. Um, but I, but I it's think like it's probably the, a good thing to call a halt to it, though. It was, and it was going to finish then, wasn't it? Was it? Definitely no matter what finish. happened. It was definitely going to finish. Yeah. Uh, the writers had made that absolutely clear. And none of the actors were complaining. You know, everyone had work to go on to and you know, everyone had a, had, a, had a brilliant experience. Yeah. Got an awful lot out of it. Yeah. That was brilliant. And it's still, it's still standing up to this very day. So people who weren't alive even when it went out first are getting yeah. into it. And so, yeah, it, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. The kids, kids get into it, you know, younger and younger and it's brilliant. Yeah, no, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then uh, after that, um, what was your next project after that? I can't really... uh, I know you wrote a book as well. Yeah, no, I did write a book in the middle of all that. It's a really good book, yeah. Thank you very much. Um, Hmm. uh, Yeah, I I, I remember doing a drama then shortly after that, uh, Hmm. more of a comedy drama called Big Bad World, which was quite good. Oh, yeah. It came came around the same time as Cold Feet came out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I remember, like, I'd been asked to do Cold Feet. Oh, were you? Well, I, no, that's that's wrong. But I was certainly in the frame for it. What part then? Well, for the Nes- Jimmy Nesbitt, Jimmy Nesbitt role. Sorry. And, like, yeah. I was definitely in the frame for it. But I remember mm-hmm. going in, and I, I think a bit cocky. Were you? Yeah. I mm. think, you know, when you're when you're in a successful show like Father Ted, you probably think you're great then for a while afterwards. Mm. Probably think, you know, <laughs> I know much more than I did know. And I think I remember going into the Big Bad World audition and kind of going... Or sorry, the the cold feet audition kind of going. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure about this. Like I just, yeah, yeah it's not really that. You know, it's not funny. You know, or saying saying really stupid things like yeah, really, like really questioning, really questioning the script instead of going, oh, the script is brilliant. I'd love to be in this. Yeah. So anyway, the upshot is that I ended up in this other one, very like it, mm. Big Bad World, which was which was good, but it it just didn't really fly. It was an ITV six one hours. And then Cold Feet became this massive show massive. for the next three or four years. Mm. And um, so I certainly blew that. But anyway, mm. I know no, 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 no regrets or anything like I didn't. I actually didn't think the script was that good. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Uh, but I but I don't think I'm a good judge of scripts either. That's I should stress that. <laughs> right. It's very hard to judge. I I find it hard to read scripts. A whole script. I just you go for my. Where are my lines? <laughs> yeah. yeah. No. It, it, like it is very hard to judge. I mean, I've seen things that I thought were brilliant, and then I ended up doing them, and they weren't. And yeah, I've, yeah. I've done things that I didn't think were that promising, and then they turned out to be very good. So you know, like I've been in really brilliant things and I've been reasonably good in them I've been in really terrible things and I've been reasonably good in them I've been yeah. really bad in really good things and I've been really bad in really bad things so <laughs> you know, you've done the whole gamut I've yeah. done the whole gamut so, yeah, so yeah. but you never know is the point I'm trying to make right yeah yeah, yeah. and what do you think of My Hero That was that an enjoyable experience well, it was you see this is th- something like people a lot of people, critics didn't like that show. Mm-hmm. Uh, public did. The British public did like it. It was. It was. It's. It. It. It was a certain genre. You know, it was a sort of icky romantic comedy, mm. uh, which there's always a place for on British TV. And I, I suppose the point I would make about it is, you know, it was a really good gig, mm-hmm. if not the best TV show of all time. Um, uh, it was also a really, really enjoyable experience. And you see, people, people mightn't fully appreciate this. Like the process is what attracts actors as much as anything, as much as the scripts or the stories mm. or whatever. You know, you, you want to work, you want to be in this environment because it's a brilliant environment. Mm. Uh, it's very sociable. Um, you make great relationships. And, you know, your job as an actor or a comedian is to try and maximize the potential of the script. So the process is always the same. Mm. Now, with Father Ted, you're incredibly lucky because the scripts are brilliant. Mm. And it becomes, it goes on to become an incredibly popular show. But the the experience of doing it is no different. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you do something like My Hero a few years later and it's it's every bit as enjoyable the day-to-day work. Mm-hmm. You know, six months later when it comes out, you read the bad reviews, not so enjoyable. But yeah. at the time, it is absolutely every bit as enjoyable. And, mm-hmm. and the same goes for every job, big or small. I've done small parts and things that, you know, the few days you're on the set is brilliant again mm. it's the same thing as the process it's the it's the adrenaline rush of going into a new environment meeting new people mm. you know sometimes working with incredibly talented people uh, you know all of that so you know that's what people that's what I enjoy is, is and you meet these actors they're in their 60s or 70s and the amount of work they've done you know the people that people wouldn't know necessarily yeah. these but yeah. they're incredible people talented people incredible yeah. people with great yeah. stories and yeah, yeah. You know, there's always a great downtime on on TV sets and that you know when you're mm. sitting around mm. like you know it's always very amusing mm. you know like people have an awful lot to say <laughs> <laughs> it's just very funny yeah yeah there is good crack and do you enjoy the uh, did did you say that maybe uh, I think I heard once that maybe more people have seen My Hero than Father Ted Probably well, I think bigger. the viewing figures at the time yeah. would have been you know would have would have yeah, because it was BBC One, it was yeah. prime time. An awful lot of people would have seen it. Yeah. And, it and it would have travelled widely around the world as well. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, It was very popular in prisons, I seem to remember. Was it? Yeah, I used to get quite a few letters. From, really? Yeah, from lifers. <laughs> Not what they want to I don't know. talk about. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know. Like, you know, it's it sort of once you finish shooting, you, you kind of just don't know anymore, you know. Like, I did a thing recently for Sky One. And I think it's quite a nice, charming uh, sort of drama, comedy type thing. Mm. And I shot it a- 18 months ago. Mm. And it's only coming out sort of in a few weeks. Yeah. And I've completely forgotten about it almost, you know. But I remember at the time I spent a month in Manchester shooting this and it was a brilliant time. It was during the World mm. Cup last year and it's just great. Right. 
And but yeah, you know, like so, you know, once you finish shooting, you move on. And like same way, that goes for Father Ted too. You know, mm. as popular and much loved as it is, and as much as I love it, like you, you have no choice but to move on the next day. You might, you know, you might take a little day to have a have a break or you know go on holiday for a week, but that's it. Then you're back to work. You're back to you know whatever mm. whatever shit you have to deal with that day. Mm. You know. But people, the general public probably think you're still shooting it if it's still on telly. They probably think yeah. you're still working. Or because they see it so often, they probably think it's the only thing I ever did. Yeah. Which is fine as well, you know, and I get that and I, I mm. understand that. But, you know, mm. like, um, you know, every day since then, I've had something else to do, mm. and you know, with various degrees of success or various degrees of enjoyment and, mm. you know. Uh, you know, it's, lots of ups and downs. Yeah, of but, course. Know, I mean, you must get more because I only did one episode, and that is the only thing I'm known for. To be honest, I did a whole series of Killing the Scully, and some people do reference that, but very few. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just the one episode of Father. Yeah, Day, I know. I mean, it did is, make a big impact. Mm, massive. But Damo was very much loved. He's a good, yeah. Well, yeah. No, and he's a good character. If I want to be known for something, I'd, 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 I'd prefer it to be Damo. And uh, do you like doing plays? Then you've done a good few now, haven't you? Yeah, I West do. End? Uh, apparently, mm. for the for the kind of re, re, you know similar reason, you know that it's very sociable. Like you know, stand up. Uh, mm. I find like like you know, I love it, and it's not something that you even have any choice over. If you're a stand up, you're a stand up for life. Mm. I think in a way, is that something you'll definitely do till you're? Well, I don't know, but I'll definitely still be one, whether I'm doing it or not. Is yeah. beside the point. But you'll still have that attitude to life. Mm. You know, where mm. everything is. Fair game, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah, 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 you yeah, always yeah. try and find the find the find the find the joke, find the funny thing about that. Yeah, but um, I just do find it. I wouldn't say lonely, but I do find it like uh, you know, kind of wearing. You spend too much time on your own, like yeah. writing it, like that kind of navel gazing that you have to do as a stand up. Mm. You know, where you have to, you know, you have to. You're just like it's like scraping the inside of your head all the time. Mm. You know for scraps for yeah. comedy scraps yeah and then you're on the road and you're on your own that's a very lonely place just before you go on stage even if there's five comedians in the room it's still a kind of a a lonely place it is yeah and uh, and you find you're always looking for the real good gig you know there's, there's those gigs where it's it's brilliant on stage mm. you're cruising that doesn't happen every gig no you have to work hard yeah yeah, definitely yeah. Uh, but then you're driving home alone at night as well so, you know, and if you're touring, you know, you might have a tour manager with you or something, but that's about it. And it's just mm. yourself and himself eating curries <laughs> at two in the morning. <laughs> uh, yeah. Sorry, I'm not looking for sympathy. Uh, yeah. But uh, so, yeah, so doing a play or something like that is just brilliant. Mm. You're, you're in a, it's just a fantastic. Even the whole rehearsal time, oh, isn't it? It's just brilliant. It's you know, crack. six or seven weeks in a rehearsal yeah. room with, with like interesting people. And doing uh, warm up exercises to <laughs> pretend. Throwing a pretend ball and things like that. Yeah, that's all. That's all great. It's great crack. <laughs> no, it is great crack. And I mean, you know, yeah. it's it's, um, it's. I've always enjoyed any experience I've done has just been brilliant. You know, it's just like even even the ones that are kind of sometimes tense, you, you still get an awful lot from that. Mm, mm. Just in terms of group dynamics, if nothing else. Yeah, no, I enjoy. I did that Shawshank in the, in the Edinburgh. Oh, Shawshank. Yeah. Loved it. I loved the month, a month in London, just rehearsing and doing all that stuff every day. Just, yeah. oh, it's brilliant. And brilliant. you really bond. You really bond with these people. Yeah. Ian Lavender, the the oldest actor on the cast, was the most upset when we broke up. He and he'd done, you know, Dad's yeah. Army and all this stuff for years. So yeah. even even he got upset about it. You know. No, it's in, it's it's incredible. It's, it's, yeah. it's it can be really intense. Yeah. Yeah. 
So what are you up to now? So you're, you're trying out new material and you're going to go out in the road next year. And, and what's the series that's yeah. coming out in Sky anyway? Oh, it's called After Hours. After Hours. Okay, yeah. cool. Um, it's quite good, I think. It's uh, mm. it's about it's a, it's about a, a kid, my kid in it. Uh, Willow mm. is his name and he's a little bit of a loose end. All his friends are going off to college and he's... Um, he's falling in love for the first time and so it's kind of like it's a brilliant soundtrack I mean you yeah. would absolutely love it I mean yeah. it was the thing that really hooked me straight away like I think within six pages Violent Femmes Blister in the Sun is on the soundtrack you know well. I think, wow uh, so it spoke to me um, yeah. yeah no it's kind of it's really funny it's witty it's you know charming but it's not in your face you know cool yeah it's oh. nice yeah. nice enough so I'm yeah doing that I'm doing a lot of writing as well a lot of writing projects and then just you know trying to keep the stand up are you going to write another book Ever. Yeah, I've tried. Yes. Yeah, I, I actually have a draft. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Yeah, nice one. Well, listen, thanks for coming in. All right, is your back okay? Yeah, was thanks. that was thanks it sore much. during that? No, it, it's fine when I'm sitting down. It's only when I'm standing up at the moment. All right, okay, grand. Thank you. Thanks, Doctor Rooney. <laughs> <laughs> You're grand. Just take two of these. Well, that was brilliant. Uh, that's that's Arla Hannan. And I just want to say, and this is a guy who's, you know, he's really had a very successful career. He's he's really been up there and still is. And he's just so down to earth. It hasn't changed him in any way. And it was great to hook up with him. Hook up with him. And I was just thinking, like, well, I've lost contact. We had lost contact. So we're going to meet up again. We're meeting for a pint uh, soon. And, and it's, you know, try and stay in contact. What happens is, you know, we all we were all hanging out together, uh, a load of us, and then you know one person goes to London, one person, you know, uh, has kids, and then you start. We all start having kids, and then you can't get out, and you start lose contact. So hopefully, you know, we can start meeting up again. Our kids are all grown up, so we might as well start hanging out again, having a bit of crack. Well, I'm having a laugh here because I'm just looking at uh, somebody sent me a link to Kevin McAleer's website, and it's it's. Fucking hilarious. Just go to Kevin com. K-E-V-I-N-M-C-A-L-E-E-R.com. All lowercase. It's the simplest website I've ever seen. Just It's just to the point. That's it. So, um, oh, I'm, I was saying I was down at the uh, Sligo at the lake and I did that gig. And, and there was uh, a load of kids there in the morning. And uh, these little kids were uh, 12 years old and they have a band called Black Noodle, which is a fucking brilliant name for a band. One of them tuned my guitar without a tuner, just by ear. Uh, he's 12 years old. They were messing around on the guitar playing Superstition by Stevie Wonder. Unbelievable. One of them is the son of Rossa... Rossa Snodic. The Snodics. You know the Snodic? The Snodics, the Keela, the band Keela. And one of them's a politician. Um... Yeah, one of them's a son of Rossa, which which is which is brilliant. I mean, because Rossa is incredible. I heard this amazing story about Rossa. Now, I have my had my run-ins with with Ryanair over the years, particularly because I bring a guitar with me, and they charge for the. You know, I I was going over to Brussels only recently, and I have this three-quarter size guitar. It's not a big guitar, and I have it on my back in a bag. No other bag. I put all my clothes in the guitar bag. And I'm just getting on the plane, you know, when you're just bringing up your 
uh, boarding cards just before you get on the plane. And the girl stopped me and she says, oh, what is that on your back? How's the guitar? Blah, blah. Yeah, I'm bringing it on. Just, it fits in the overhead bin. It's fine. She said, no, no, it's a guitar. It's a music. Have you paid for a musical instrument? No, I haven't, but it fits in the overhead bin. That's all I have. I don't have any other bags. Oh, and she charges me 60 euro to bring it on the plane. One way. Charge me 60 euro. Yeah. Ah, so I hate her, okay? And I hate Ryanair for doing that to me. Rossa Osnodig, he was going on a Ryanair flight. He saw a load of bottles of water for a euro each. He bought a whole load of them, brought them on the plane, got up, went up and down the aisle selling bottles of, ur- of urine. <laughs> no, not urine. Water for one euro each before they could come out with their trolleys. I just say fair play to them because that's what we've got to do. If they're going to be so, you know... Um, pernickety and try and sell you and make as much money out of you then why not try and make as much money as we can on the aeroplane I don't think he was was even making money he was making a point it's capitalism okay yeah so um, listen I'm off to Galway for the Vodafone Comedy Carnival at the weekend I'll be doing a gig with Patrick McDonnell in the King's Head on Saturday night in Galway and on Sunday night I'll be in the loft with the Improv All Stars and Phil Jupiter's who Phil Jupiter's who gladly who who gladly uh, uh, guested with the Dublin Comedy Improv on last Monday night and we had a storming gig packed out storming gig thank you Phil for for being our guest um so listen thanks for listening if you're first time listener to this uh, podcast there's lots of other interviews that are really good some of them you might not recognize the names but they are fantastic they can be the better ones even Willie White for example you might not know who he is but what a story he has and um, yeah so and, and please leave leave uh, I, I'm getting a lot of feedback now and I want more feedback if you get onto my Twitter at Joe Rooney one uh, go onto my Find me on Facebook or wherever. Go onto my website, www.joerooneycomedian.com. Leave a star rating or a review. Whatever. Well, if it's a good review, I don't, I don't, want, I don't want criticism because I'm very sensitive. Okay. Uh, next week, I will have Frank Kelly, who was also on Father Ted. He was Father Jack. Thank you to Castaway Media for hosting this. Thank you for Andrew Mangan for producing. And thanks to Daniel Rooney for the music. Thanks for listening to you and please keep listening and please keep giving me feedback thank you see ya see ya bye bye I'm seeing something it's smiling at me but not a friendly smile. The worst smile I've ever seen in my life. Do you see it right now? Smile. Rated R. Only in theaters September 30th.